You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. One of the things that, that I enjoy doing, and maybe you guys enjoy this as well, uh, is looking at people's bumper stickers. You guys, you know, you're kind of drawn to bumper stickers, and, and you can tell a lot about a person based on the bumper stickers that they have on their car. And a particular kind of bumper sticker that always kind of draws my attention uh, is Christian bumper stickers. And in this area, Knoxville, Maryville, you see a lot of Christian bumper stickers. And uh, there's, a, there's a few of them that I think stand out that I just wanted to share with you out of the kindness of my heart. Um, and, and I think you can often kind of categorize types of people, types of Christians based on their, uh, their bumper sticker. So the, the first is the confrontational Christians bumper sticker. Right, and this is the, the you know the normal fish that we see on a lot of cars, but then underneath it they add the sticker that says, "This fish won't won't fry, will you?" Right, so the confrontational Christian. Okay, uh, so then you have the passive aggressive Christians bumper sticker. Right, they have the bump, bumper sticker that says, "Are you following Jesus this closely?" Right, so <laughs> a little passive aggression there. Right, and and then you have the the political Christians bumper sticker, right? And, and this is the bumper sticker, no lie. It, it, says, uh, it says, pray for Obama. And then underneath it, it says Psalm 109 verse eight, right? And, and that seems great. Like, you know, God calls us to pray for our leaders and, and, you know, that's a great thing. And then you actually read what the Psalm says, which it says, may his days be few and another take his office, right? <laughs> no lie. So, yeah, hopefully we don't have a lot of those in our parking lot. But you, you see a lot from, from Christian bumper stickers. And I'll tell you one, that's kind of the end of the funny ones. But, but one that we see, that I see a lot, um, and, and it's kind of made me think as, I, as I've seen it, uh, is the bumper sticker that says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Right? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And, and, and I can kind of understand, you know, the point of that. Yes, we are forgiven. You know, Jesus' righteousness is our only hope, not our own good works. Uh, but I think there's a, a, a concept behind that that I want to challenge a little bit. And that's the question is, is it true that we're really just forgiven? Right? Is there a way in which we can kind of take that mindset and say, look, we were forgiven. And so now we kind of go on, we kind of live our own life, do our own thing. Uh, right, and, and, and I believe that, that based on what we're going to look at in Romans chapter 1 this morning, uh, that, that we're not just forgiven, but ultimately beyond our forgiveness, God has called us to a life of mission. And, and I believe that we as, as Christians, and I don't want to assume everyone in here is, but if you are a follower of Christ, then you are called to a life of mission. And we must not settle for anything less than living the life of mission that God has called us to. So, so if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 1, uh, we're going to be looking at a chunk of scriptures. We're going to read um, verses uh, 1 down through 7, then we're going to jump to uh, verse 14 and read through verse 25. All right, let's go. Uh, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. 
to all of those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now jump over to verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. That is, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they know God, they do not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, hear this, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their flesh to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we desire this morning to, to hear from your words specifically. We, we desire for you to teach us uh, through the truth that your spirit has given us in your word. And God, we, we desire to have hearts uh, to receive your truth, even, even when it's difficult. And so, Father, we pray for that right now, that through your spirit, you would allow us to hear and receive your word and then respond to that by living lives of obedience to what you've commanded us to do. And so, God, we, we just ask for your presence, for your power, and God, ultimately, that you would be glorified through this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as I said before, I believe that we as Christians are called to live a life on mission, and we are not called to settle for anything less than that. And, and in this passage in Romans 1, uh, we'll see three reasons why I believe that we must live a life on mission. And the first reason uh, that we see here is because the gospel demands that we must live as Christians a life on mission because the gospel demands it. Now, if I asked you the question, what is, what is the purpose of God saving you? What would you say? What what, why, why did God save you? What was his purpose in your salvation? Now, a lot of us would say, well, that's an odd question, right? Because clearly the reason God saved me, the purpose of God's salvation is he loves me and, and wants to forgive my sins, right? That's, that's the purpose. And, and, and I would say yes and amen, right? That, that God, by his grace, has saved you and forgiven you, and we should rejoice and thank God for that. But I think so many people stop there. That the, that the ultimate purpose of their salvation is simply their own sins being forgiven. So, so we find that inner peace, or, or we uh, find that we're freed from the fear of going to hell, and we feel like, okay, now we've accomplished it. Now we, now we can kind of move on from here. We've been forgiven, we've been saved, and so we can kind of coast through what would be called a nominal Christian life, right? We can, we can basically um, claim to be a Christian. We can come to church fairly routinely. Um, and, and then ultimately, there's a, there's a list of certain things that we know Christians shouldn't do, 
right? And so, and so as long as we can kind of keep that list, and, and my grandfather described it like this, don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go out with girls who do, right? And, and that's kind of our concept. It's like, as long as we kind of don't do certain things, then we're fine. And, and I would argue that there is a much bigger purpose for your salvation, a much bigger purpose for your life as a follower of Christ than that. And, and I think a helpful picture in understanding this is, is a person who gets a driver's license. Are there any students in here who are either about to get their license or have gotten their license re- recently? Okay, a few people in here. Any parents of, of kids about, right? Okay, I can see your sweat right back there right now, right? So, so imagine you get your driver's license. You go and you practice and you drive your parents' car and, and you get that book that they give you and you learn all the, the rules about like stop signs and what to do when you encounter a school bus and all the laws and you, you learn all that and you go and you take your driving test and you pass it and then you go in, you sit at that computer, you answer all those questions and, and you pass, right? You, you actually get your driver's license. So then you go, you sit at that booth and they take that you know, beautiful picture. That's a terrible picture always. And they give you your license, right? Imagine you get that and you go home. And when you get home, you have a frame and you take your license, you put it in the frame, and then you hang it up on the wall, right? And when your friends come over, you show it to them. You're like, man, you know, I passed my test. And you tell them all about it. And man, I'm so excited. I got my driver's license and I keep it right here, right? But you're never driving a car. Right, your, your mom is still taking you to the movies, right? That, that, that's a problem. You would think that was very odd. Why? Because the purpose of, of getting your driver's license is to drive, right? Is to actually use it for the freedom of driving and, and, and going out and, and experiencing all that a driver's license allows you to experience. And in the same way, I think our Christianity can, can kind of be like that. Right? It's like, okay, once we get our forgiveness of sins, right? Once we, once we experience all this, okay, that's, that's kind of all past, right? And, and we forget about the fact that, no, all of that is leading up to this life of adventure and joy and purpose on mission that God has called us and designed us to experience. You see, when God saves us by his grace— he also calls us to a mission. When, when we are saved by the gospel, we are sent with the gospel. And, and this is what we see Paul writing in, in Romans 1, in verses 1 and 5. He, he talks about his experience of this. In, in verse 1, we see that, that Paul was saved by the gospel, and then he was set apart as, as an apostle, and then he was sent out to take the gospel to those who didn't know Christ. It was a natural progression. And again, same thing in verse five. It says that Paul received this grace. He he received salvation. It was given to him. Why? So that, right, or two, for the purpose of bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So, So Paul received this grace. He received this salvation in order to lead other people to see the grace of Christ and experience salvation for the obedience of faith, right? Do we see this? And, and I think maybe a, a concept of, of what this looks like is, is a trampoline, right? If you've jumped on a trampoline, I've, I've done it recently, and, and it hurts a lot more the next day than I remember. 
But when you jump on a trampoline, when you, when you jump up and when you come down on that, that black mesh part, like you, you kind of sink in, but ultimately you don't stay there, right? At some point the springs take over and they propel you back up into the air. That's the concept of, of a trampoline. And, and in the same way, when we receive the grace of Christ, when God saves us, right, it doesn't just stay inside of us. It, it's not just about us. Ultimately, it propels us out to live a life of mission. That's the natural progression for those who have been saved, right? And so this is, this is the picture of our life. When, when we receive the grace of God, it should lead us out to a life of mission. Charles Spurgeon, considered one of the greatest preachers of all time, um, he said this. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now, that's, a, that's a harsh sentence. It's, it's tough to, to swallow. And, and what he's not saying is that every Christian must move their family overseas and, and go to some tribe and, and live in it. But what he's saying is, is that every Christian is either living a life on mission, right? Telling other people about Jesus, showing the love of Christ, that generosity, you know, that external focus that ultimately leads people to see and receive the gospel, or, or an imposter, right? If it's just all about us, we're missing the whole purpose of the gospel. And ultimately, this is what the gospel demands. The gospel that saves us is the gospel that sends us. Well, the second reason that we see in this passage that we must live lives on mission, that we must settle, not settle for anything less than living on mission, is not only that the gospel demanded, but demands it, but secondly, the glory of Christ deserves it. The glory of Christ deserves it. Um, have any of you all encountered a celebrity or a famous person? You, you've seen someone who's famous, okay? Uh, my family was on vacation. We were in Charleston, South Carolina, and, and we were walking down the streets. We were about to go to this carriage ride that takes you all through downtown Charleston. And, and we turned this corner, we looked up, and Alex Rodriguez and his girlfriend were walking towards us, right, A-Rod. And, uh, and I saw him, and it clicked. This is who it is. And immediately I yelled out, Derek Jeter, right? I'm not kidding. This is a, this is a true story. I would not tell you if it was not true. So it's embarrassing, right? If you know baseball, you know how ironic that, that is. And, but he was still gracious, and he you know, took a picture with us. But, but here's the deal. When you encounter a celebrity, you show people, right? I've showed people that picture of, of A-Rod and my brother-in-law a lot of times. Uh, or, or maybe it's, it's not encountering somebody who's that public of a celebrity, but maybe you've met somebody that you really admire, that you really look up to. There's, there's been some men uh, who who are pastors, who I really look up to, and they're significant men, well-known in certain circles. And, and, and when you encounter somebody like that who, who just has this greatness, it impacts you. And you tell other people about it, right? You tell people what they were like or, or what they said and, and how it's impacted you, right? It, it's this natural progression. When we encounter greatness, we want to share it with others. Or maybe, maybe a, another illustration of this is, is, is when, when you fall in love, right? So maybe... In high school, college, you remember when you fell in love with somebody, you didn't need a class to tell you how to tell other people about that person, right? You didn't need someone to explain, here's how you talk about what they say. And what they, no, you just did it. You told other people. You wanted other people to know how great they were and, and your love for them, right? And in the same way, when we, when we experience the love of Christ, right, when we love him for the glory and greatness of who he is as well as what he has done for us. When we experience his love, 
it naturally leads us to tell other people about it. Not in some formulaic way necessarily, but just to talk about him, right? Just to talk about who he is and what he's done in our lives because ultimately that's what his glory deserves, right? And we see this in in verse five. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Paul's Paul's talking about Jesus and, and he's been talking about the greatness of Christ, that he is the son of God who has showed his power and glory by being raised from the dead. And, and then it leads him to say, to bring about the obedience of faith for what? For the sake of his name among all nations. Paul's saying, I see the greatness of Christ. I've received the grace of Christ. And that leads me, for the sake of his name, to want to tell everybody else all around the world, all nations, about his greatness and glory. I want to make his name great. I want, I want to share him among all people around the world. That's the response of Paul to the gospel. And I, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that our response to the gospel? Like, honestly, in our lives, do we live, have we had such an experience of the grace and the glory of Christ that we live to tell other people about it? both people around us here as well as around the world. And so many of us don't. And I'll tell you, why not? Why, why don't we? And I think in my experience, the, the primary reason that I don't live for the glory of Christ and speak of the greatness of Christ to those who don't know him is fundamentally because I live for my own glory. That, that's fundamentally why my, the, the things I think about, the things I live for ultimately are about me. Right? For, for my advancement or what other people think about me or, 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 or moving my name into the limelight, right? That, that's that's the, the focus of my life and it keeps me from focusing on the glory of Christ. It's like if any of you have been to a four year old birthday party lately, there is more jealousy and envy at a four year old birthday party than at a Hollywood red carpet event. What does every kid who's at that birthday party want? They want it to be their birthday, right? I've never been to a birthday party yet with my son, Judson, where he hasn't on the way said, I want it to be my birthday, right? No kid likes sitting there watching other kids get presents, especially ones that their parents bought for them, right? They want it to be theirs. They want it to be their party. They want to be the center of the celebration. And I think in some ways, we never grow out of that four-year-old birthday party mindset, right? We still ultimately want it to be about us. We, we still ultimately live for ourselves and we want to, to make our name great and, and help people see our glory and how great we are and it prevents us from living for the glory of Christ, right? It keeps us from being focused on things that eternally matter. And I think here's the deal. It, it, it's, it's my prayer for my life and, and for this church that we would recognize what really matters and, and what's really worth living for. Like, think about the things that we're thinking about, the things that we're worrying about. Do they matter? Uh, a question I ask myself is, is 20 years from now, will this matter? And I would, I would challenge even further, 200 years from now, right, if you'll, if you'll go with me. So, so think about it. 200 years from now, what will I wish I had lived for? When I'm in heaven with Christ, looking back on my life, so many things that I live for and focus on and worry about will be silly. And I realize that. I realize that ultimately what mattered, what I should have lived for, is the glory of Christ and leading other people to see the glory of Christ. And ultimately, 
That's what we're called to give our lives to, right? That's what we're called to live for as followers of Christ because the glory of Christ deserves it. The third reason we see is not only does the gospel demand that we live on mission, not only does the glory of Christ deserve us living on mission, uh, but the third point is that the nations depend on it. The nations depend on us living lives on mission. Last Sunday was, was incredibly powerful. Right? And, and, and watching Richmond stand here and, and share his story about how uh, you know, he lived in incredible poverty where literally he and his family were staring death in the face on a daily basis. And seeing how this ministry of, of compassion was able to come in and, and really rescue him from this and, and then going outside and going through the compassion experience and seeing just a, just a picture of poverty, a, a small picture of, of the reality that so many people live in day in and day out. And then, and then I was reading a book this last week and it was talking about these villages in Southeast Asia and the fact that the average age of people in these villages is eight years old. Eight, mo- most people in these villages live, live to eight years old. And, and the reason is because one of three very preventable, preventable things, they don't have clean water and so they get diarrhea that leads to their death. Or they don't have access to food, enough nutrition, or they get sickness, illnesses that are very preventable. These stuff that you could take your kid to the doctor and they could give a pill and it would be gone. Right? But, it, but it kills them. And so these huge areas are, are living literally today. And we see the terribleness. And I'm sure there's lots of things you guys have experienced as well. You see how tragic and how terrible poverty is and how great the need is across the world. And I think we should respond to that. Right? I think that should move us to response. And that's why it's incredible, as Pastor Trent was saying, you know, how many of you all sponsored kids and, and cared for needs in that practical way? I want to challenge us, and I believe this is where the scripture leads us, to consider that the greatest needs around the world, while needs of poverty are incredible, the greatest needs around the world are ultimately for the gospel. The greatest need that people even, and I'm I'm not trying to minimize the real needs of poverty, but, but even people who are in poverty, their greatest need is fundamentally for the gospel, for eternal life through Christ. And, and I think this is, the, this is the point that Paul makes in, in verses 18 through 25. He, he is showing us, right, that, that the greatest need people have is, is faith in Christ, is salvation through Christ. And why is that? And, th- and this is where Paul would say, you know, people all around. So some of those impoverished people that we were, we were looking at, people in, in places that are incredibly remote, people, people out in mountains and in jungles who have never heard the name of Jesus or, or never seen a Bible, don't have churches. Ultimately, Paul says in, in verses 18 and 19 that, that even though they've never heard the gospel, they do have a knowledge of God. They fundamentally do have a knowledge that there is a God. And we see picking up in verse 19 that what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And this is a concept called general revelation, right? Basically, this means that all people around the world have an inherent uh, knowledge that there is a God. 
And Paul says that when people look around them at the things that have been made, when, when people see the, the beauty and the order, they know there's a God. I think about this morning, woke up early and, and walked outside and I saw the sunrise. Just this incredible beauty and the fact that I'm able to, to experience that beauty and appreciate it. And you know, Friday night we were out kind of a remote place with friends and, and looked up and saw it, just think the stars. Right? This is what the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And, and all of that leads to a situation where people inherently recognize God. Why? Because he's created it to work that way. They see God and they know that there's a God, but verse 18 says, that all people by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They see there's a God, but they, but they push it out of their brains. Why? Because nobody wants authority, right? Nobody wants the, the, the concept that there's, there's a God we're accountable to. We wanna be our own God, starting with Adam and Eve to every single person in the globe. We reject the concept of a God. We suppress the truth. And then in verse 21, it says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then, and then verses 23 through 25 go on to basically tell us that though people knew there was a God, they, they exchanged that truth for a lie, right? They, they chose to believe a lie that there was no God, at least the God who created them. And ultimately, it says they, they exchanged worshiping the creator in order to worship created things, creatures and, and created things. And, and, and the truth is we're all worshipers. Like, you know, we're all worshipers. We all have that inside of us. It's how God has made us. But instead of worshiping the God who created us and deserves our worship, we worship created things, right? People worship animals. They worship nature and and plants and trees. They worship the human body. They worship false gods of, of many religion or, or, or even worshiping possessions and things that we can have. And so fundamentally, every single person has exchanged worship for God for worship of things. And Romans 3, 11 tells us that no one seeks God. So no person anywhere fundamentally seeks after God. And Paul says in verse 20 that because of that, we are without excuse, right? He says, he says in verse 18, the wrath of God is against us. Now, now the wrath of God is probably not something that, that we talk about a lot, right? And, and truthfully, our gen, this generation, our culture hates this concept. And, and even churches, even, even around our city and community, do not talk about this concept of God's wrath because it's uncomfortable, right? It's almost, we almost feel like it's embarrassing. But it's all over scripture and Jesus talks about it consistently and so we can't, we can't ignore it if it's, if it's fundamentally true. And what the wrath of God is, is his, his just and holy anger against sin. The Bible tells us that all people who have rejected God are separated from him and that one day we'll stand before God and he will declare us guilty because of our sin and we will receive the eternal punishment of living separated from God in a place called hell. And this is the reality for every single person, according to Paul, on the planet. 
And I think the reality is that this is what we need to understand, to understand the greatness and the love and the kindness of God in the gospel. Because that is fundamentally what we deserve. But God loves us and is gracious to us. And he comes to us in the person of Jesus. And and although we all have messed up this life and rejected God, Jesus lives the perfect life in our place that we all fail to live. And then ultimately Jesus dies the death on the cross that we all deserve to die in our place. He, He stands on the cross where we deserve to be. And God pours out his wrath and just anger against sin upon his son. But he doesn't stay dead. Jesus ultimately rose from the grave, conquering the power of sin and death. And the Bible tells us that if we have faith in him, if we trust in him and who he is and what he's done for us, then instead of looking forward to experiencing the wrath of God against us for our sins, we look forward to, the Bible tells us, God pouring out his kindness and love and mercy upon us for all of eternity. Right? That's good news. That's the greatest news in all of the world. And it's the news that every single person on the planet must hear. It's ultimately the only message that saves. It's the only hope of salvation for those who have rejected God and deserve his wrath. And the reality is there are two billion people with a B on the planet right now who have never heard that message, who have no access to that message. They're unreached is the term. And and the term unreached means they don't have a Christian around them. They don't have a church around them. Many of them have no Christians that are seeking to go to them. See, that's the difference between a person around us in Tennessee who who doesn't follow Christ, who doesn't believe in Christ, and people in parts of the world that are unreached is because people around us, even though they're just as lost, they have access to the gospel. They could come here and listen to the gospel this morning. They could talk to you and hear the gospel. But there are people who have no access to the gospel. And what that means is that they will live their entire lives and die without ever hearing the message that God loves them and sent Jesus to die for them. And I think for us, that number, 2 billion, or 6,500 unreached people groups, it can sound cold, like just a number. And I want us to challenge that in ourselves. Like I want us to challenge to, to consider that this is not just a number, these are people. You know, just as you got your compassion card and you saw that face, these are, these are faces, these are people, these are sons and daughters and fathers and mothers. And ultimately, they're people who are created in the image of God. They're no less valuable than any one of us. If they die and go to hell, it's just as tragic as if one of us or our friends or family members did. And I think we have to realize that we have done nothing to not be in that place, right? We, we have done nothing to deserve to be born in the place. I, I didn't deserve to be born in Abilene, Texas. I didn't deserve to have the gospel preached at my church every Sunday. I didn't deserve to have parents who followed Christ and led me to follow Christ. None of us deserve that. We didn't do anything to cause that. 
but it's the grace of God in our lives. And, and what Paul says is he realizes that because he has received the grace of God, that he has an obligation to take that message to those who have not, right? This is what we see in, in verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation, I'm obligated, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and foolish. He feels this obligation because he has received the gospel by God's grace to take it to those who have not. And I wonder, do we feel that? Is there any sense of obligation that we can't just settle to say, hey, there's billions of people who will never hear the gospel of Christ. David Platt, president of the International Mission Board, says, saved people this side of heaven owe the gospel to lost people this side of hell. Do, do, we, do we think that way? And ultimately, the method, so, so how does the gospel get to, I mean, I mean, I've had conversations between each service about this concept of lost people and what about this and that, and, and I think, it's emotional. It's difficult for us to, to, to swallow. And it can cause us to point that emotion towards God. Is that fair? Is that, is that right? And, and we can begin to question there. But I want to I encourage us. We don't, we don't understand the fullness of God, right? But I want to encourage us to channel that towards what we do know and what we can do. And, and, and that's recognizing that, that we are the method that God has chosen to get the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. That he could have chosen a number of different methods, sure. But he is, from the very beginning of history, he, was, he has always chosen a people. And that he uses that people to show the wor- world who he is. And, and to, to bring them to relationship with him. This, we are his method, Right? We are his plan A, and and there is no plan B. And so the question is, are we willing to respond to that? Are we willing to give so that missionaries can go? Are we willing to go on short-term trips? Are we willing, some of us, to give our lives to serving Christ on the mission field? We are the method that God has chosen to get his people, to get the gospel to lost people around the world. We are trying to take this step consistently as a church. How, how do we apply this as our, to our own lives, but how do we apply this as a church? And, and one of the ways that we want to apply this, to not just settle for lostness, but to be engaged, is we, are, we, are, we partner with several different mission organizations, but we are having a more strategic partnership with the International Mission Board. And I want you to watch this video, tell you a little bit more about the International Mission Board. The world is broken, with billions living in darkness, striving to find hope on their own. That's why we go to sprawling cities, impoverished villages, and war-torn countries. We go because God is worthy of all worship, and we are His missionary people, sharing the only hope for this broken world, Jesus Christ. That is why we go. Since 1845, IMB has helped churches participate in God's global mission. And today, through IMB, churches are sending people from all walks of life to join limitless missionary teams 
in the rapidly growing global cities and the harder to access extremes like deserts, jungles, and war zones. From students to professionals, to retirees to full-time church planters, every Christian has a part to play. Your gifts to international missions make it possible for IMB to partner with local churches, to equip ordinary Christians to make disciples and multiply churches among unreached people and places, fulfilling Christ's commission to declare His glory among the nations. We'll be sharing more about what our partnership overall with the International Mission Board looks like uh, in, in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, but, but ultimately, you can begin now to support the work of the International Mission Board. When you give to the Christmas offering, when we take that up on December 13th, uh, a large portion of that money will go to the International Mission Board and the work that they're doing to reach unreached people in places around the world. Well, as we, as we close this morning, if we're honest, all of this can feel kind of overwhelming. Like, like thinking about maybe people we know who we know need the gospel, we know that God has called us to share with them and, and that, that can feel intimidating or maybe we know, you know God's called us to go on a short-term trip and, and that's kind of scary. Or, or even, even the bigger concept of, of thinking about the International Mission Board, thinking about the work of, of reaching people in, in countries and nations and villages around the world, many of whom are very opposed to Christianity. Right? It, it can feel impossible is the truth of it. At, at our own personal level with people around us as well as internationally, and that's where I want to close by looking at a, a verse in this passage that we, we jumped over, and that's, that's Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The gospel, the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus carries with it the power of God to save. And we must be reminded that we do not go to our friends and family. We do not go on trips around the world. Ultimately, we do not give our lives to reaching the nations in our own power. It's not up to us. It's not up to our resources and our ability to, to lead people to decision. Ultimately, we go and we share in the power of the God who, remember, created the universe. The power of God who holds the planets in their orbit. The power of God who holds galaxies together. And this is the power of God that is available to us through the gospel. And so that's why we can go confidently and boldly. Knowing that God will accomplish his mission. He will accomplish his purpose of bringing people to faith in Christ among all nations. But he invites us, he calls us to be part of that work. And there's nothing more exciting and there's nothing more challenging than being part of the mission of God, of bringing people to faith in Christ, of saving souls and glorifying the name of our King Jesus among all 
people. So there's nothing worth giving our lives to more than that. And so that's the call this morning. That's the call to each and every one of us. Because ultimately, the gospel demands that we live on mission. The glory of Christ deserves that we live on mission. And the nations depend upon us living out the mission that God has called us to. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the fact that we have received the gospel and that we have experienced faith in Christ, knowing that he lived in our place and died the death we deserve to die, taking our punishment and the penalty for our sin upon himself. And then he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death so that we might have eternal life and forgiveness and joy through him. But God, we know that we have received this gospel not just to keep it, but God, you have called us to the nations who desperately need to hear this gospel. So Father, I pray that we would sense that calling that we would trust in your power through the gospel and that we would give our resources, our time, and ultimately our lives to bring in glory to your name. It's the name of our King Jesus we pray, amen. Before we go, I wanna let you guys know uh, about two uh, specific mission trips that we have that, that are gonna be going on in 2016. Uh, the first is we're gonna be going to Haiti on March 10th through 19th. And then the second trip, we're gonna be going to Kenya in Africa on June 16th through the 25th. Uh, and then we have a third trip that'll be our fall trip, October 7th through 14th. We're still finalizing uh, the details, but we would love for you guys to begin praying and considering going on these trips, as well as other things that we'll be doing throughout the year in 2016. Um, also, uh, just a reminder, if you did not sponsor a Compassion Child last week and you would still like to do that, we have some hanging out there in the Make Some Noise kiosk and, and you can go ahead and sponsor a child this morning if you'd like to do that. Also, if you took an Operation Christmas Child box, please remember to bring them back to the church by next Sunday. So thank you guys so much for being here. We hope you have a great week. You're dismissed. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.